My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Neil Thibodeau. Hello, Neil. How's it going, Pilar? Going good. I'm glad to have you back for our second show. It's amazing. I love being here. Excellent. Enjoy the granola. I made you some granola for Christmas. Now, uh, <laughs> do I have to add that to milk or to yogurt? Like, is it is it split, meant to be enjoyed raw? Like, a, what's the? I am a milk and granola person. Okay, milk. But if you're a yogurt and granola person, it's okay. That's not going to be taboo. That's not going to be like, oh, I blew it. Like, no, no, no. Milk. It's a little euro weird, but yeah. go ahead. Okay, All go right. for it. Almond and milk. When... <laughs> Almond milk. Sure, is that okay? Is that okay? Sure, right. sure, sure. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So this is the thing. Like, I make granola every week, whether my kids like it or not. And like I've become one of those crazy mothers who's like, oh, she's making granola again. You know, like they're so done with it. Do you send it with them to school or, or is it just like on the breakfast table? It's like, oh, bam, like a, a quart of, of granola. I'm always like forcing granola at them. I'm like some mom from 1975. And then um, so that doesn't work anymore. So, yeah, this year I packed it all up and I'm giving it out to people for, for treats for Christmas. So I hope you like it and you're not allergic to nuts because that would be a whole other story. I'm not allergic to anything. Okay, good. If you would like some granola, just write to to inquire it on the page. No, I don't know. Maybe uh, we have uh, a guest with us today who is uh, who also brought in. She brought in baked goods. Jennifer Dornbush. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. What did you bring? Because I, I thought it's all wrapped up in a spready. I'm glad to hear you're not allergic to nuts. Because no, it's banana bread with walnuts. Yum, yum. Yes. So, are you also like crazy baking mom, or was yeah. it just something you got? No, I am. It's yeah, in the, it's in the genes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be avoided. <laughs> the DNA. You got a lot in your DNA. It's not just baking. We're going to talk about that in a second. Jennifer Dornbush is a writer with produced credits in documentary and short films. Um, she is also currently writing three TV crime mystery forensic series being pitched out right now, and another one that's being prepped to be pitched. Um, she also has a novel, which is a mystery, and it's currently out to publishers via her lit agent. Um, she's also developing a new property based on a real-life cold case that was solved and prosecuted earlier this year. In addition, she's writing um, also a feature and TV show that are co- currently like completely out of the yes. genre that we're going to talk about today. Um, but let's just say that Jennifer is an accomplished writer who happens to specialize in criminology and forensics. Yes? Yes. And yes. she has a book... Um, and the title of the book is, oh my God, I'm missing the title of the book. It's right. What's the title of the book? Oh, it's called Forensic Speak. Forensic Speak. It is a great resource for writers who want to learn how to speak forensics quickly, clearly, and accurately. And um, she's been speaking about the book and speaking from the book all over for mm-hmm. a couple of years now. She's a, she's a good teacher. And um, I want to let you know, you know, we did have Kat Lindsay on the phone, uh, on the on the podcast. She is uh, also an aspiring criminologist, Kat Lindsay. And we did talk 
about some areas. Mm -hmm. But um, what Jennifer's done is she's written this book with chapter headings that focus on a different area of forensics per chapter. And, uh, and I thought that it would be cool to sort of jump in and find out about what, she's special, what, what she talks about in the book and also to maybe separate some fact from fiction when it comes to, to this because people have all kinds of ideas yes. a, about, about forensics. Um, but before we go into it, I think we have to talk about your background oh because Jennifer... <laughs> It's not just baking that's in your DNA. Tell everybody how you grew up. Yeah, so I actually was literally born into death investigation. (laughs) So I kind of didn't have a choice. Um, My dad was a medical examiner in Michigan for over 20 years. And his office was in our home. So I literally grew up with death investigation at my kitchen table. And um, it became... A part. It was actually kind of a family business. As my mom worked with him in terms of like she did a lot of the billing and a lot of the um, clerical things. Or when people would come to the home because they needed a death uh, death certificate um, or some information, she would deal with the family members and the police would come for different information. So yeah, she was she was pretty instrumental in handling the business side of it. And then as I have two younger sisters, and as we grew up. Um, we helped my dad with different aspects of, of uh, forensics as he needed. Um, some of them may be a little more forced than others. <laughs> um, for instance, um, one of the rules that he had in our house before, when we were 16, before we could get our driver's license, is that we had to accompany him on a case where somebody had died from a drinking and driving fatality. Oh my, oh my God! So that was to teach you how not yeah. to drink and drive. So and it worked. <laughs> oh my Lord! Yeah. So yeah. So that was a requirement before we could get our licenses. So of course we want our license if we're going to do it. Um, how many yeah, How many so, dead bodies had you seen before you got your driver's I mean, license? Enough. Like it wasn't a shock or anything, but it's a little different when you're sitting in the front seat of the suburban and the body is in the back. Oh my God. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Oh in my, a body bag, and oh then it starts Lord. to rigor mortis and move, and you're wondering, is it alive? Oh my gosh! Oh my god! So, yeah. <laughs> I love that you're like, well, enough. Like, enough. like, oh, I you mean, know, most people have seen. I mean, like, I didn't have like notches on my bedpost or anything. <laughs> Just one of those um, those those uh, milestones that every child right. at a certain point of their life is, is obviously seen a certain number of dead bodies. Exactly. You know, I mean, you've yeah. seen Stand by Me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have like a, a friend over, and there was? Something uh-huh. with a body part? Yeah. Okay, so I need to explain this, um, the office in our home business, so yeah. you can understand kind of what our home looked like. So autopsies were not done in our home because there was a hospital, and that's a more, you know, you need a more um, hospital morgue environment for that. But um, the county, it's a very rural county. It's a big county, but it's very rural, and they just did not have the funds or at that time, the sophistication really to house things like medical records or um, samples. There's a lot of tissue samples. There's um, blood samples. There's things you have to keep when a person dies, especially if it's a suspicious death, that you keep for a certain period of time because you, especially if that case is going to go to trial, you need to have those materials there so you can retest them if need be. And then ironically, just a little side note, but ironically later, once DNA became 
a thing actually be, was invented and became a, a legitimate science, then some of those cases you could, could pull that tissue back and find out something about DNA that you didn't know 10 or 15 years before. And um, actually, my one of the cases my dad worked on, the, he told the detective at the time, I know you are, I know you can't figure this out yet, but just wait. 10 years and DNA science will be advanced enough that you can pull this tissue again and you'll be able to solve this case. And sure enough, it was one of the first cases in Michigan to be solved using DNA because that's, he kept that sample. Wow, that's, that's, I mean, you really, you're, he's literally seeing into the future, yeah. right? Yeah. And saying this will happen. Right. What a lot of patience too. Yeah. I mean, that you have to have that amount of patience for mm-hmm. that kind of work. And the space for Parts and pieces that's of right. DNA. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about that. Yeah. Okay. Thank yes. you, Neil, for getting us back on. Yes, very you. good, very good. I God tend to go off on know. tangents. So, um, yeah, <laughs> he would keep files. We had, we also had a barn, so there were a lot of files kept in file cabinets in the barn. But then the tissue samples would be kept in our basement, in the freezer, or in the fridge. <laughs> Like uh, the 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 home fridge, like, not like the home fridge. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Next the sodas the on one side yeah, and yeah. the tissue. Mm, let's <laughs> get some leftover. Oh, that's Ooh, not, that's not I, Chinese. I, wait a minute. I don't need any DNA. Let's, no. So, um, yeah, it was very. Uh, my my mother is a saint. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a very interesting way to grow up. Yeah, the you know the people food is on the top and the samples are on the bottom. <laughs> um, where was it? Where were we going? Uh, you the had friend, a friend. Friend, yeah. friend, barn, friend, barn, <laughs> leg. Okay, there was a leg in the barn. Okay. So there was a leg in the barn. And I wish I could, I know I've heard the story a million times. I wish I could remember the reason why the leg was there. But again, it was one of these situations where it needed to be kept to be processed later or to prove something later. So my dad, in, in you know, all his high sophistication, had it in like a formaldehyde uh, barrel to keep preserve it, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like you're in a science lab. And we, us kids, we, in the top of the barn was a loft that we had, you know, created our own little play area and with our dolls and things like that. And, um, my, my friend, this was like third grade that my friend came over and she was new. She was new to the school and we were up playing in the loft with the dolls and the books and things like that. And she would just, she saw this big barrel and she's like, what is that? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, never mind. <laughs> nothing because I was kind of embarrassed about what my dad did at the time and she's like no no what what is it I'm like well it's a leg and she was so fascinated that we we crawled down the ladder and we opened the barrel to look at the leg wow and was it just uh, sitting in the formaldehyde it wasn't like it I mean you just open it up it's like oh there's a leg like well it was kind of packaged but you could kind of it was like see-through packaging like heavy thick plastic packaging so. Did other kids want to come over after that to see <laughs> body parts? I don't know. Like, go over to Jennifer's house. You can see things, really cool things. There's legs and, wow. I mean, you know, because yeah. whatever makes you popular. It's really. fascinating. Right? Yeah. I, I was so embarrassed I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> um, I, that was way pre-CSI, too, like before it was really cool. Right. So, and it was yeah. just, but, you know, at a certain age, it's still cool. I guess. Right? Think about the movie The Body, right? Yeah. They're, that age, it's cool. 
right? Go a it little. was to her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say it's it's always cool until it's crossover with what your parents do because isn't it always like a whatever your parents do is not cool? Right. So even if it, even if there had been the CSI, there's a chance that it would have been not cool except for the fact that you found something you weren't supposed to find. Right. Exactly. Oh, I think it just said that the body. I meant Stand By Me. It was well, the book was, the, was the, the body. body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, One of my favorites. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could imagine. Um, so, so what led you to actually study this area yourself. I mean, you know, you grew up so much around all this. Did you ever think like, no, I just want to get as far away from from body parts as possible? All the time. <laughs> this was not in my personal plan. At the, you know, I was like I said, I was really embarrassed. Like even as a, a high schooler, but my then my th- friends did think it was cool. And in fact, my best friend, she was starting to be a nurse, and she would often go with my dad on autopsies, mm-hmm. be- and she was just more than excited to do that because she learned so, way more than she was learning in nursing school because he's an, a natural teacher and he would like really get into anatomy with her but I just thought it was really weird and stuff so I was like I'm out of here I'm going to Chicago I'm going to college <laughs> um I always knew the, I was a writer but it took a long time before I kind of connected You know, when you start really thinking, like, what am I going to do with my life? And like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. How does that look? How do I make that happen? What do I write about? And then it kind of started to connect, like, the thing, you start brainstorming, and you start trying to figure out who you are as a writer. And I kept gravitating back to these, to, like, crime-type stories or mysteries. I'm like, well, duh. (laughs) Like, I'm thinking, where did this come from? Well, duh, this is where it came from. Um, So it did kind of take me a while to... Even though when I look back at my writing, I can see it peppered in. Sure. Um, and then I realized, okay, I need to really, I have a, because it was just like the air that I breathe, it wasn't, um, you know, death investigation was just, um, I don't know, it was just what happened around me. I mean, every day was filled with some case. I mean, every holiday was interrupted by somebody dying and my dad having to leave Christmas or leave 4th of July to go take care of it. So it just, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that the wealth of knowledge I really had in this world until I sat down and was like, wait a minute, I actually, I actually know a lot about this, <laughs> but, but there was more I wanted to learn. So, um, because death investigation is just kind of one small segment of forensic science and there's just so much more to it. So then I went back to get some more education in forensic science. I went to the Forensic Science Academy, started studying more. And then as a part of that experience, we had to do a project, uh, kind of like a big, you know, um, culmination of everything you've learned kind of a project and everybody else in the class they're like EMTs and biologists and they're going to be coroners and I was the only person in there who was a writer and so I asked the professor could I do something that's more aligned with my um, where I want to go with this with my career and she said absolutely so I pitched this book, but it wasn't really pitched as a book because I didn't really mean to write a book at first. <laughs> Everything's very accidental now that I'm thinking about it. Um, and she's like, yes. I said, well, I want to write a handbook for writers because I had been looking for things as I was going down this path of writing crime. And there's there are some really good resources out there but I wanted to, f- but I couldn't find something where it had everything in one place. And she said, yes, do that. And then actually it was friends of mine who are, all write, who are also TV writers who said, you need to publish that because we want that book. <laughs> so they were the ones who actually encouraged me to contact Michael Weesey and 
and pitch it to them. And and so, so from this book, right? We've like we said, we've we've got chapters that talk about all different areas of forensics. Actually, I'd like to skip around a little bit sure. and just let's let's go right to the idea of what's myth. And what's fact, yeah. fact and fiction, because I would imagine it drives you crazy as you're watching certain things or hearing other writers pitch them where they're sort of, it's almost like fiction begets more fiction. Like if something's wrong on screen, then it becomes sort of this game of telephone where it stays wrong. Most of us right. learn what we know about forensics right. from, from, from the forensic shows. shows. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd love for you, you can even jump around. Um, okay. Tell me something in one of the chapters and tell me what's the, the fiction of it or what's the sure. myth about it and what do you what do you focus on that people should know about that a writer should know about okay so i actually teach this seminar on like sort of the 10 top myths let's go and for it myth, misconceptions and then why we actually need them mm-hmm. but then also what are kind of the writer's ways around them kind of what's the truth behind it but then as a writer how can you use that so um, tell tell me about okay. some of those you don't have to go yeah, to all 10 because, but i love um, it Okay, so kind of, it's interesting, you'll, and actually I think Kat talked about a couple of these too. Um, one of them, I have them like labeled with all these cutesy little names so I can remember them. Um, one big one I call the gloss and go. Gloss and go. The gloss and go. So it's like you see this in, in a lot of shows where the investigators, they come in and maybe the crime scene's kind of already in action or things have already, maybe somebody's already been there and there's a few things in process, but the, the main person, the main protagonist comes in and they like swagger in, you know, in their awesome high heels or their awesome, you know, Armani suit. And you're like, no, first of all, no, you're going to get that dirty. <laughs> um, and they look around and in like 30 seconds, they have the whole thing figured out. They know exactly. This came from here, and this they, they, they entered here, and it was a violent struggle. And the yeah, 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 yeah. and we love that so yeah, much. Yeah. I, love, <laughs> I love, I know, and so I call it the gloss because they're kind of glossing around the scene, and then they go on to the next beat, you know, mm. of the story. Um, they you have to. The thing is, like, because it's, you have to condense time, but because you know you only have twenty four to thirty forty minutes to do this. But the reality is. Um, there's not one person who's going to figure all that stuff out, first of all. And it can take hours, if not days, if not weeks sometimes. To, and and to a lot home. of times probably not at the scene. Like you've gathered all this information right. and then it might occur to you much later on like what yeah. the connection is between all these different factors. Oh, yeah. The connection could be even years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, in extreme cases, but it can it take a long time, a long, long time. Well, is there any way, um, based on that reality, to have something that's as sort of glossy, sexy, mm-hmm. and have the reality? Can somebody come in and still get our attention, but still working within the realities of, of what that would be? Right, yeah. Well, first of all, I think this is okay to do. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, it's a myth, but it works for dr- dramatic purposes because we have to entertain. And we have, to, conden- we have to condense time, too, yeah, in order to, to tell a story. Time. But I think, too, like what you could, one, maybe way to add a little more authenticity to it, you could maybe have them focus on one thing um, in particular. And also, I think what that does is help you build a more interesting mystery um, because you're, the audience in the media is going to be like, but what about this and this and this and this? And it's not that the investigator has forgotten that. It's that you're, you're focusing their attention on, on one piece, one clue, one piece of evidence. And then you can trail that 
through the story. Wouldn't it be cool to, I think, to have an opening where you have your hero and their antagonist is the gloss and go person. Mm-hmm. Like the person who comes in is like this, that, the other thing. Gosh. And you have your protagonist is the person who's like, uh, who are you? How dare you come in and sum up everything that really takes a lot of work? Yeah. That could be a that different would be awesome. way in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nice dynamic. Um, tell me about another. Okay. Oh, let's see. Oh, da, da, da. oh, this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite. I call it the magic labs. <laughs> and basically, <clears throat> and we see this in, everything that we watch. Basically, it's the concept that in real forensics, R-E-E-L forensics, you anything can be put in a test tube. Like you find something on the floor or on somebody's skin, you can put it in a test tube and within like two minutes you have the answer to what it is. And in real forensics, R-E-A-L forensics, it just does not work that way. First of all, even if you can find a piece of evidence, which a lot of times you can't, which makes it really tricky. Like, there's a very, oh, this is another one of my ones I'll get into in a minute. There's a very heavy reliance on physical evidence in um, television and film shows, which makes sense because it's a visual medium. medium. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about that in a second if we want. Um, but a lot of times, there won't be a lot of physical evidence in a scene. Um, and so you don't have a lot to go on, or you just have a tiny, tiny bit. And um, then you bring it to the toxicologist, and there's a backlog. So it may take six to eight to three months to actually get that piece of evidence that tested in, in the lab. Um, and then there's some things like hair. Hair takes a very, very long time to break down. So that's not a real... They don't prefer, like, I shouldn't say prefer. Hair just takes a long time, so if you have other types of physical evidence, those are a little bit more preferred than hair. Just little, little subtleties like that. I mean, hair, hair obviously works, and we use it all the time. Um, but it just, the, again, it's the, ta- it's the condensing of time. What's the, what's the most effective sample to use for DNA? If hair isn't that... Is it a, um, a piece of skin, skin saliva, blood. semen, blood? Those are just easier to break down. Got it. Yeah. And we were talking about, um, you were saying that the physical evidence is the one that, that is pointed to on uh, on camera. What are other kinds of evidence? I, I in my mind, I can't think of like, what is what is non-physical evidence? I shall tell you. There are six major types of evidence. <laughs> oh, are there? <laughs> which I will speak about in my book. Yeah, oh, yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, tell yeah. us. Tell I mean, us. generally, and there are just... Six types. Okay. And um, so, so physical evidence is most of them. So um, let's see here. So we have like biological. That's a piece of physical evidence. Blood, urine, saliva, skin, etc. Um, impression evidence. So that's like anything that can press into a substance. Like your shoe prints, your tire prints. Um, if I whacked this wall and my fist went through it. That would be an impression. Teeth, a fingerprint teeth, is teeth. a is a oh. fingerprint or is, is is the original one or is the, the um, is that fingerprints if, can be if it's impressed into if something. it's impressed like mud. Let's say you press your finger into mud. Or if you if if the if the murderer grabs a piece of wet plaster. Uh huh. Yeah. But if I just go, oh, I just touched this table. That's not impression. It's still physical evidence, okay. but it's yeah. Um, and then physical, just plain old. There's a shoe on the ground, or there's a bullet casing. Um, yeah, there's a piece of hair that's just plain old um, 
I guess, not impressed physical evidence. And then there's trace, which is also physical evidence, but like its name suggests, it's just a tiny bit, like a little piece of soil, uh, a little piece of skin, a little thread. So we can't say, look, here's this object. It's here's this trace of an object. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Then we have to look tiny in the microscope and see what it is. Um, And then you have two other kinds. You have direct evidence, which is... Photographs, video, surveillance, witness testimony. How is witness um, testimony direct evidence? Isn't that like yeah, in, indirect? I mean, it's can, like I'm telling you what I saw. Okay, so <clears throat> add that to video and all that. It sort yeah. of adds up to this full picture. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not saying all these are always reliable, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are. The, this is the category. Somebody actually saw those shooters shooting people at that Christmas party, that's direct witness evidence, testimony. And then um, circumstantial, which is probably one of the least used, especially now in the last 20 years, in film and television, because it's indirect. Mm. It's what you notice, what you hear, um, what you deduct, what you infer. That might not necessarily be uh, exactly on on point of what we're talking about, but when you add it to the other elements, it might mm-hmm. give you a more complete picture. Right. Is it what the is it what the investigator infers and notices, or is it what other it what witnesses all infer of and notice? All of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So an example would be like, say I go out shopping and I leave my apartment, I lock my door, leave, I come back, my door is completely busted open, broken off the hinges, and I notice that. My computer's gone, my television's ripped off the wall, um, the place is a mess, and I left it clean. <laughs> um, that I can infer or deduct that somebody came in and broke into my apartment, stole my stuff. But there could so. always be a possibility that uh, your roommate had a bad night. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody walked into the wrong apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, there's, it, so it's, I'm just making that assumption at the moment that. I, I was the victim of a burglary. Well, I think, though, if you look at Sherlock, um, <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. so much of what he's doing is clever, circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence, right? Because yes. he's always deducting, uh, just based on the environment, everything he sees, he's, right. not, he, he's creating stories right. for them. Yeah. So in a way, circumstantial evidence is used. It's just he's so clear about it, it doesn't sound circumstantial. Exactly. It sounds direct. Exactly. Um, and, he's, and that's so classic because, you know, back when that was created, there was mostly only, I mean, not, I don't want to say only, but circumstantial evidence was used a lot more than physical evidence because there wasn't uh, at the time there weren't a lot of ways to test well for physical evidence you're talking about the original books? like the original yeah. original yeah so i think i love how they carry that over because i think it's more interesting well it's it becomes more about um at least in the originals um this uh this character who just has a huge brain and he can comprehend all these factors that to us seem unconnected mm-hmm. seem not uh, related to whatever crime has been committed um but he you know, use Hockham's razor and he says, you know, the, the simplest solution. He also says all these different things, which eventually leads him to the conclusion that the rest of us would only be able to make if we had direct evidence. Right. Exactly. So you feel that the physical evidence is the thing that's used so much, but that there could be more reliance on these other kinds of evidence to 
fully tell the story. Yeah, it sure seems like it. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to it um, because it is very interesting to see the science behind how you figure out physical evidence. And I think that's why we find it so interesting. And because it's new and emerging. I mean, if you think about, you know, DNA evidence is 25-ish years mm-hmm. old and or young, I should say. Um, so, so yeah, I think... I think it's very interesting to watch it unfold, but I think circumstantial evidence lends more mystery. Mm. And I have a theory that people are less comfortable with mystery in their lives than they used to be. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to be your dad for a second and see into the future. Oh, no. <laughs> Is okay. there any kind of what's the future of evidence? Like you said, DNA is only 25 years old. What kind of evidence could we use right now that we can't get? Or or do you think that they'd be looking at it in a different way? Well, they're already starting to... Because right now, you can't really determine sex, male, female, from DNA. So they're looking into that. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also... I read about these things a lot because I'm interested in like how it's continue to develop they're also looking into being able to really pinpoint from a piece of dna like where that came from in your body like mm-hmm. especially tiny tiny dna's real time or um so like let's say somebody gets shot and they pick up a bullet casing and there's blood and tissue on the bullet and you bring that into the lab so you, you're start, they're starting to be able to see um, or do testing and, and develop ways to see, like, not only what's the DNA, but, like, did it come from the liver and pass through the lungs at the same, or, you know, like, where, what are the tissues that are also. So that's cool. So yeah. you could know. A lot. You know, yeah. Before you would find the body, you'd be able to know what kind of crime was committed or yeah, like exactly where, where it came entry, from. Entry, exit, yeah. kind of. And that also makes you understand it. Was it done from a defensive position or did somebody mm-hmm. do it from, you know, cold-blooded in the back or something yeah. like that? Or pass, cool. Yeah, exactly. Passed through multiple, like if they had their hands up, it passed through multiple areas right. of the body. Or yeah. maybe two people or yeah. three or... Wow. Yeah. Okay. So stuff like that, that's just always... Um, I think that science is going to just get blown away soon That'd and do you think really there's cool. some things that are limited by um like computer processing power i mean do you think they're that, that they're working on because oh. it seems like every time i hear about the the computers that some of the forensics are using it just sounds like it's not necessarily you know i mean there there are there are people using advanced computers for playing video games and then you see like the the computers they are using to, to process like fingerprints and you're like well why aren't they using right yeah um I'm not sure what the question is. The question would be, uh, is, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, pro- yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say just the processing of, um, of, of information. Is there, uh, is there limits to what we can do based on uh, what the computers can do? And you think that that's, that's also going to be something we're going to be moving forward with. That is moving forward rapidly. Um, I subscribe to this, I guess, well, I guess it's an online, um, blog slash newsletter about digital electronic forensics, basically digital forensics. And every day almost there's something new that they're, especially um, with identity theft and, and trying to, how do I say? Uh, Basically I'm trying to track down criminals via their, their use of electronics and technology and that every day there are new and, 
more and more things being developed in that world. I, that world right now is is exploding. Like if anybody wanted to go into the field right now, I would say go that direction. <laughs> is this a, a newsletter everybody can subscribe yes. to? Yes. Okay. I think it's just called DFI, Digital Forensics something. Cool. <laughs> I think it's just DFI. Le- yeah. Google Digital Forensics, Forensics Newsletter and well, see what comes yeah. up. That's great. And um, I, But I, I do a lot of tweets from that as well. So if you follow me at Forensic Speak, you'll easily get linked into those articles because I do. Well, I tweet those out a lot. Awesome. So, so let's go to some more facts and fictions <clears throat> and myths and stuff. Okay, let's see here. Hmm. Okay. Well, here's here's one I like. It's a little sad. Okay. But it's. But it's happy sad. It's we happy have been sad. talking it's about dead sad. bodies, so let's just assume that all of this is sad. <laughs> I know. Um, I call it, ha- but I do call it happily ever after. Okay. <laughs> so, and so in this myth, um, what ha- when we watch shows for the most part, and I'm just talking shows in general. There's obviously films too, but the bad guys generally get caught and they get their just desserts. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad guys are brought to justice. The prosecution is resolved. Um, I mean, Good Wife was one of my favorite crime shows right now. I'm a little behind, but that's just me. Um, and you, the prosec- it always gets wrapped up, right? Mm. Um, the victim is vindicated. The case is resolved. Yay. And we love that. Mm-hmm. That's why we watch these shows. Um, and as it should be, that is good story form. <laughs> yes, I know someone will probably say, but what about this one where it doesn't get resolved and the criminal gets away with this? Yes, yes, that does happen as well. Um, but it tends to but be like a very special episode yes. or it's the hook of, of, of something that like everybody's talking about and then it goes back to the normal right. happy af- ever after. Right, and I think of like the Coen brothers, of all the films that they did, there was only one where the criminal actually won and it's called, oh my goodness, I'm losing the name of the... True Grit, and then it was the one before that. Um, uh, no Country for Old Men? That's it. No mm. Country, thank you, for Old Men. It's one of their only ones where the bad guy, he got away. He got away. He got away. Yeah. It was hard to... It was hard. It, but, but also, he, we jump to, and he got away. Yeah. You know, we never actually right. see how he got away, I don't think. Right. And he I, got away I, with it. I remember being very frustrated by, oh, yeah. with, by the lack of third act. Well, the, the, <laughs> you know, I, you, know they, yeah. they, they, you can't deny that they're great at dialogue and they're great at style. And I, I just felt like, um, I felt the lack of resolution in that, that movie also was, was always like, it was something indefinable that see, really I didn't, that really bothered right, me. Right, because, see, because yes. even if, uh, it, there is one, it, it's really cool, I agree with you, if a, a bad guy wins because that might actually speak more to the reality. But just the same way we want to see a good guy cleverly win, we need to see the criminal cleverly win. Right. How did that all happen? Right. What, you know, and to just sort of jump to sort of this, the sad sadness or the wistfulness exactly. of it, you know, doesn't necessarily give it a hook just because the bad guy did get away. Exactly. But, what, but like you're Ocean's saying... Ocean's Eleven is a perfect example of that franchise. Like, it's clever. The bad guys are clever. It's a caper film. Love it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think what you're saying, what we're all saying is like, No Country for Olden was not satisfying because, to, to us anyway, we want that closure. Okay, we want that happily ever after. Or or it's unhappily ever after, but with some kind of fulfillment. Right. Where some kind of like, we the story feels ended, feels complete. Yes. Um, I actually show a clip from No Country for Old Men. I love the first 
I love the three quarters of that movie. Yeah. I do. The, I really do. Yeah. There is that bad guy. Brilliant. Is amazing. I know. So spooky. Um, spooky. So, so in so oh, what I was saying is, I think because in real our real personal lives, the myth here is that um, a lot of the time, and I wish I had statistics on this, um, the bad guys do get away. Um, a lot of cases because of botched evidence or they just didn't have enough evidence at the scene or for whatever reason. Oh, lack of manpower. I mean, lack uh, of manpower. Ultimately, the, they, the cops only have so many hours in the yep. day. Or lack of technology because, I mean, these labs on television, they are fancy and that is not reality. <laughs> so we, unfortunately, um, we like Happily Ever After because I think in our real lives, the criminal world doesn't always work that way. So. I think I think probably that's why we now have sort of seasons that will explore one mystery. So if you've got mm-hmm. the killing or the fall, because they realize that it's sort of uh, uh, failure after failure after failure it until is. you finally get your man, which it eventually is. they do. Right. Um, it it it's maybe speaks more to that reality. Exactly. And the case that I'm working on, or the book that I'm working on, based on the real life case, is a perfect example of that. Twenty five years. 25, 25 years, cold case. And did, did eventually they figure they it did. out? They wow. They were prosecuted um, in April and went to prison in September. Wow. Wow. Do you have um, rights so, to that particular issue? Is I this something? Do. Wow. Is this something that was I granted do. to you or do you? It th- was graciously by the father of the victim. I'm telling it through his research. I mean, there's, there's a public domain research. I mean, you know, all Mm -hmm. the court records and things like that. And I actually sat in on the trial for three weeks. Um, but the but I really felt I needed to have the father's permission Mm -hmm. to tell the story of his daughter. And, um, we've become pretty good friends and he, he actually contacted me. It was in September, I think right after they had gone to prison. And he said, look, I, I know we got to know each other a little bit. And, I know you were at the whole trial and I just was wondering what you're doing with this project <clears throat> because, uh, and so I told him what I, I said, well, I, ha- I haven't had a chance to contact you. I've been working on other things, but this is my intention. And he said, well, good, because I only want you to tell the story and wow. I trust you. And so we, yeah, I was pretty honored. Now, how, how far have you come with that piece? Oh, I'm outlining. Okay. <laughs> I wish be it hard was further. Because with something like that, we talked about it, this in a previous episode. What do you keep? What do you, what, <sighs> so much. what do you leave And especially you said you sat in, you sat in so on, three, on three weeks of the, the trial. I mean, right. probably there's enough in a movie just for the three weeks of trial, oh you know? Yeah, it's incredible. I've, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Plus, I want to interview a lot of the uh, police officers and detectives who worked on it. And there's so much... But I think I'm finding my way. Do you so. think you know who your protagonist is? I do. Yeah. Did that come out from your interviews, or did did you know going in this is the protagonist? Um, I knew it was going to be one of the detectives. There were in real life there were actually five cold case detectives who worked on this case for four years, four years nonstop. Wow, five, and that was after it had sort of t- taken a little bit of a sleep for a mm. while because there was one original detective who worked on it pretty much his entire career after it happened for like 20 years, you know, off and on as things as he could. Um, but then he retired. And then a year later, uh, Michigan, um, assigned this cold case team to the case. So I, I knew it was going to be a det- actually, I'm, I'm probably going to tell it through three different eyes 
but um, one detective, not yeah. five. Five would be a little daunting. Um, and the the one new detective, the original detective, and then the victim. Are you? Do the three collide at a certain point? The victim will not. She'll kind of have her own story, mm-hmm. but the other two will. Good. Yeah. Cool. Listen to me. I'm sorry. I'm starting to yeah. consult. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so, yeah, good. All right. All right. Listen, You're yeah, on the right listen. track. Yeah. <laughs> good job. A plus. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Florida. What, what, what did you? What do you think about um, cereal? Did you ever love? Yeah, we're love. talking. Of course, the the new season of cereal has yes. just started. Neil, have, did you watch? Uh, did you listen to cereal? Uh, I have not yet. It is on my list. I'm telling you, you I'm know, it was on it. my list too. I hadn't mm. for a while, and mm-hmm. then and then did you know sort of a, a bit of a binge. I I let my. Well, I don't know if everybody would approve, but uh, my teenage daughter and I would listen on the way to school, on the way back from well, school. She's very mature. She's pretty mature. She hey, is. Hey, I was seeing dead bodies at age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. She's way behind. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, I think it, it goes with a lot of things that you're saying. First of all, the slowness of it. Secondly, circumstantial evidence. So In this much. case, it's not that the bad guy necessarily was caught. We don't know if it was the bad guy that was caught at all. Right. And so it's, there's also, you could flip this and go, because we want our happy endings, is there ever a rush to judgment right. that, you know, in order to just basically not have yet another cold case or not to draw this out? Yeah. And there's a little bit of a case made for that. I think by, so. By there's listening seem, to serial. I think there's a, there would seem to be a lot of pressure around that case, too. Um, for people to get it, get it solved, get it go because of be, probably because of the age of the victim, mm-hmm. um, people needing to feel safe in schools, yeah. all kinds of things. Um, yeah. uh, okay, so tell me, okay. tell me a little. Any any other? Um, uh, we can go for one more myth before we um, start signing off gosh, here. You see, those were my. Okay, I'll just do a fun one. Which this one cracks me up, but I totally understand why this is done. And if I were an actor, I would want this too. But I call it sex appeal. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, crime. These in the crime shows, these crime fighters always are like dressed to the nines. Like they are looking so fine for the most part. Um, and they, I mean, they're coming in their suits and their heels and their nails and their hair and their makeup and fresh, fresh faced. Like they had just gotten, you know, nine hours of sleep and, (laughs) you know, just had the most perfect breakfast and now they're ready to, you know, solve the world. Um, and I understand that from a visual storytelling perspective, but in real life, um, no crime investigator would ever, ever go to the scene looking like that <laughs> they would be i um i have a friend who works um she does she's a csi in pasadena and she carries an extra change of like dirty clothes like not great clothes like work clothes in her trunk of her car so that when she has to go to a scene she changes into the kind of crappy clothes on top of that puts on her bunny suit you know the whole suits all up and old shoes uh, the whole thing and then when it's all over you know, so it's like all you can see is her eyes through goggles, you know, <laughs> like no makeup, like just hair in a ponytail. And then when it's all over, she, you know, takes everything off and takes all those dirty clothes and all those dirty shoes. She won't even bring them in her house. Hmm. She sends them to a laundry. 
because it's just so. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Got, you, that makes a lot of sense. So, Again, I think the killing. I think they did, did that they? one. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. So if you see that okay. female protagonist. The first season, especially, is really good. Oh, yeah. And she, and she, but the way she's dressed, I like yeah. I used to shout at the TV, like, the same sweater? Honey, come on. <laughs> but now, like. She had it I, in her trunk. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, based on what you're saying, is like, that was really authentic. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't always pretty to watch, but we're supposed to be compelled by the story. Yeah. Uh, this has been very awesome. enlightening. Thank you so much. Um, you, we did mention that you also have two other projects that have nothing to do <laughs> with this. You're doing a new kids show with the Baby First Network because who wouldn't go to Jennifer Dornbush <laughs> right? who had body parts in the barn? I'd bespeak young children, right? <laughs> so how did how did this happen, and what and when can we see it, and all that oh, stuff? Gosh, hopefully soon. Um, okay, so this is a fun story. Um, Actually, I co-wrote this project with my friend, and she's also a crime writer. I think she actually writes darker than I do sometimes. I'll read her stuff, and I'm like, whoa. I'm glad I know you, um, personally, because this is scary. Um, so she heard about, heard about this contest that Baby First was doing in conjunction with the National Hispanic Media Coalition and back in February, and she's like, what do you think? She knew, she knew I had written a kid's book and I've, I speak a lot to children in schools and stuff. And she's like, what do you think? Do you, you want to, I've always wanted to write for kids. I know we write crime, but what do you think she would just try it? And I'm like, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. So we pitched a show to them. That was part of the competition is that you, you pitch a, a, ba- a show for babies. Basically. I think their range is one to four. Wow. That's really, young. Wow. you know, and it was, it's a bilingual, um, and the process was very long, but we won. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. And, they, and they're developing it right now? Yeah. Yeah. We'll probably start writing after the new year. So. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> is, is that a relief working on something like that when you, when you have to be so really serious di- most of the time? Yeah. It's really different because we're like trying to like, oh, wait, we don't have to be so complex. And what? We can't kill anybody? Oh, how do we do this? <laughs> but you know, this would be a good way to learn about body parts, colors, right. smells, <laughs> tastes. You know, I mean, all the senses really, you know, just put a baby down at a crime scene investigation. Baby's first forensic. Go, yeah. yeah. Baby's yeah. first forensic. I, yeah. I agree. We've talked about it. Yeah. I think we'll, work, we'll do this one first and then we'll pitch that. One. That doesn't sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, it, I have to know uh, the, the one of your original... Uh, pilots that you're working on or that you're pitching right now, any of them have to do with your per, your home life? They do. Yeah? Yeah. I've, oh, that's so great. Yeah, I've written several variations. And um, uh, yeah, one of them is is out there, the novel, and then also the TV the TV version are out there. So we're, fingers crossed for those. And then I also, a while ago, I'm really in, it's funny, people will say like, oh, what crime shows do you watch? And I'm like, I watch comedy. <laughs> I watch a lot of comedy because I think about this all day. Sure. I read about it. I think about it. So when I sit down at night, I don't want to, I don't want another dead body in my face. I want to laugh. Um, so I wrote a forensic comedy with a couple guys. Oh, cool. And, um, well, and that's based off of our, my, um, yeah, home life. Okay, well, look we'll see. for we'll some, see. some we need TV, for <laughs> novels, all by Jennifer Dornbush coming soon, hopefully, oh, to theaters and TV screens and bookshelves near you. Um, to go find out more about Jennifer, um, well, first of all, buy the book, Forensic Speak. That's through Michael Weezy mm-hmm. Publications, and that's just on Amazon or through MWP.com, yeah? yeah? I say go MWP.com. Okay. Support and then, Michael. All right. <laughs> and then as far as um, 
your own, do you have a, a website that people can go yeah, to to find out more about you? I do. It's just my name, jenniferdornbush.com. Very simple. Um, and I answer, oh, if you have forensic questions, I'm happy to answer them. I do that for people and for shows here and there. And so that email is forensicmaven, M-A-V-E-N, at Gmail. Okay, and I'm just going to put a little caveat to that, which is one question only one for question. her, and please do not attach your script, okay? Oh, no, sorry. I, well, I wish I had time. Yeah, we have, a, we have a no stalking the guests policy here at <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. Also, you mentioned uh, Twitter. Say your Twitter handle one more time. Oh, yeah, so it's at... Forensic speak. Forensic speak. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much Thank for being for on the show, Jennifer. So it's lovely. I'm so glad after all these years of sort of passing in the night, that we could finally get together at least Yay. around a microphone. Neil, how do people follow you? Uh, let's try uh, at N Thibodeau, N T H I B Z N Boy, E D Z N Dog, E A U. And I have to say, it's so nice having you back on the show. I love it. I you, love it. You, you know, you have great questions. You're incredibly well read, you know, and, and you, you know, fill in all of the, the, gaping holes when I'm like, oh, you know, there's Neil asking a, fun a cool conversation. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv. It is the new year, I think. By the time we're getting this, we're going into the new year. Um, so it's a good time to write your script. How about finally writing your script? So um, if you want to write your first draft and you live in Los Angeles, consider the first draft class. It is uh, six Saturdays here, 1230 to 330. It runs January 9th through February 13th. I'd love to see you here. Just sign up by going to onthepage.tv. If you are not local, look for some recorded classes. Just go to the online part of onthepage.tv. If you haven't written a nice review about on the page and you listen to the podcast, why not write a review on iTunes? Um, and because I always forget to tell everybody to do that. If it's a not good review, you don't have to do that. There are other things can, to do you can in keep 2016. That in your head. Yeah. Sure, right. You can't say anything nice. Don't, <laughs> don't say, say it at all. That's right. That's right. Good <laughs> so thanks again, Jennifer, for being here. Thank you, Neil, for producing. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And have a good writing week. Thank you.